Telecast, the TV industry news review. With over 750 new VOD platforms launching in the past four years, how should producers approach the future? And how can they capitalise on this changing landscape? What content is new AVOD platform ULOOK TV looking for right now? And what's the outlook for the ad-funded VOD sector? On this week's show, I'm chatting with David Smith, founder and CEO of AVOD startup ULOOK TV, and Drives Lilla Hurst as we discuss ULOOK's content and distribution strategy and delve into Drives' The New Buyer's White Paper, which has just been published and available for free download. It's all coming up on this week's Telecast. Over the past few years, we've seen hundreds of new services launch as cord cutting speeds up and broadband gets faster all around the world. And the small matter, of course, of a pandemic has driven all consumers looking for more and more content across smart TVs and, and connected devices. Coming up later in the show, I'm chatting with Lilla Hurst from Drive, who've today published an exclusive report into the new buyers, which is an in-depth look at the shifting channel landscape. Now, what's clear is that whilst Netflix, Disney, Amazon Prime, Warner Brothers Discovery steal all the headlines, it's the myriad niche players that are also affecting the industry at scale. And we recently spoke to Angus from True Royalty, uh, about his royalty-focused SVOD offering. So I thought it was time to speak with a service who's adopted the AVOD model. So I'm delighted to welcome to the show David Smith, founder and CEO of ULOOK TV. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to speak to somebody pioneering this area. So before we, we get into talking about ULOOK TV, I mean, you, you're a really experienced exec within the TV industry. Can you Give us a bit about your background for those who don't know you. Yes, of course. So uh, I've spent the past 25 years or so in in content, really. Um, I have worked at ITV in audience research. I've worked briefly at an ad agency, spent four years at the BBC scheduling uh, programmes and, uh, and media planning, nine years at Sky buying content, uh, and then 10 years at 20th Century Fox, distributing content. And I guess over the course of that time, I've seen a huge amount of change uh, in, in the industry and in the, in the business of putting great programming in front of audiences. Um, but the fundamentals um, prevail. That, that is, great content finds a way to, to, uh, to audiences, and it's about how you manage that process that's really key. Um, and so that's why um, that's why I'm in, in this space. I love it. And uh, I'm passionate about the content, passionate about the ways of getting content to audiences. Um, and this is a, a brand new venture and it's a brand new era. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we can't wait to, to get started. Sounds like you've got the perfect CV for setting up a, an AVOD or a VOD channel as as a whole. So tell us about the ULOOK TV offering and who the key audience is for the channel. I guess I'd start with the name of the service because I'm often asked, why is it called ULOOK? And towards the end of our time at at Fox, I had an opportunity to um, spend some time uh, with my team in LA and we, we, we were given a talk 
by Peter Chernin. And he was talking a, a lot about, about the changes in viewing behavior and environment uh, and so on. And specifically with reference to VOD services. And he said, and this I'll, I'll always remember, he said that the service that cracks how content, how viewers find content, that the service that cracks that is 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 going to be onto a winner. So one that, that doesn't just serve up content through um, algorithms and through um, the way that the platform is, is, is built, but the way that it's editorialized. And he said, if you think about, about a newspaper, if you're looking at a, at a physical newspaper, you're drawn to a story, but then your eye is drawn to another story. And that's the way that you kind of weave yourself through the paper. And I thought about it in an on-demand environment and what that would look like, what, what it would, what would be the, the trans translation of that over into VOD. And that's when I came, kind of came in, you know, up with the idea of, of putting, of aggregating lots of different VOD buckets so that people could weave themselves in and out of, of, of them. And if they went into one particular channel or, or vertical, there'd be plenty of content in there for them to play around inside and, and so on. And I wanted to encourage discovery, and that's why I called it You Look. So, so I want people to look. I want people to treat it as a lean forward experience. So we are put together in that way. We're, we're put together with, with that sentiment in mind, which is here's a, at the moment a, a, a space which comprises, uh, I think, 13 different verticals, ranging from classic horror movies through debate discussion, through paranormal, through documentaries through motorsport quite an eclectic a deliberately eclectic mix of different collections of content that viewers can can go to and, and kind of ex and explore and and the walls between those channels exist but they're also paper walls so some content exists in more than one vertical and we and we encourage people to kind of spill over from one to the other so when we say who's the key audience it's obviously because you've got so many verticals, it's a very broad audience by that definition. It, you're not setting out to catch any specific core consumer. It's more about everybody, right? It's everybody that that, that has a, an interest in whatever content you have on your service. Well, that's right. Because if you think about it from, from two different perspectives, and the first is the advertising perspective, and then the second is is audience composition. So... If you're going to be successful as an AVOD service, my belief is that you need to be broad such that you can kind of drive a, a footfall, a, a large footfall into the service overall, but specific enough and tightly targeted enough that you can charge a high CPM for an audience that's super targeted to, to, um, to that which the advertiser wants to reach. And so how you are both broad and specific inside the same service is one of the reasons why why we're put together the way that we are but the second has to do with audience composition and and when we when you consider the 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 way in which audiences have been migrating from traditional tv viewing experiences over into ott you know initially you you've got single digit growth year on year and then it was 10 and then it was 20% but last year and and powered very much i think by the pandemic we had migration of, of 46, 47% year on year. And when you're seeing 
migration on that scale, you're going to start seeing a change in audience composition as well. It's going to start broadening out. It's not going to be just younger audiences and early adopters. It's going to be people who are experiencing this space for the first time. And I think that what, what they're what they're going to need is they're going to look for an experience that's adjacent to the one that they just left, right? So, so something that looks familiar, something that's been built in a way that they can kind of wrap their heads around and go, okay, I, I understand this. I understand the way that it's been put together. And I liken it a little bit to um, a slightly different AVOD uh, evolution in, in the US, the fast channels. Pluto TV, which is the first one in this space, put together a service that was largely a, a, a linear um, streaming um, service, and it still is, because viewers that they were targeting were those that had just recently cut the cord. And they were looking for a, an experience that was adjacent to the one that they had just left. In other words, here, here's a big selection of channels. The layout looks like an EPG, doesn't it? Here's an EPG, right? You're familiar with how that looks, and and so here is here's an experience that that we think uh, you know is is adjacent to that, and so you look's been put together in that way. We we are curated, we're editorialized, but we're also easy to navigate, and and I think that's the key. And it's a brand new service, isn't it? You literally were in beta until what a few weeks ago? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. So we were in beta from about February through to very, very recently. We are now, now only just now beginning to emerge from that. So it is brand new. For a TV executive with wide range of experience, as we said, right across all of this audience and scheduling and marketing and content acquisition, or all of the elements that you need to be able to uh, really create this sort of service, what have you learned in setting up you Look TV? Is there anything that has surprised you in terms of the process of creating a digital AVOD service? The difference between working for a large organization and working for yourself is, I mean, the, the, the obvious, they are obvious. I mean, it's part of a large organization. If you want something to happen, you... Um, you can ask for it to be done and some it, it'll be somebody's responsibility somewhere in the organization for that thing to happen. And it either happens or it doesn't, but you know, it, it, it there is a process, there is a machine because there are tons of, of people uh, who, who, sh- who show up every day in order to do that. Uh, when it's your own operation, it's, it's just down to you and it's just down to your core group of, uh, of individuals that you gather around you as your, as your team. And so that means that you you spend your day doing a million and one different things rather than one thing in great depth. So it you know that's so different to working in a corporate environment, um, and it's great. And the other thing that's that's also obviously different is that you know if you want to do something, you can do it. If we wanted to launch uh, a paranormal channel, we can do that. You know, if we if we want to close one down, we can do that. If we want to go left or right or up or down that's entirely up to us and we'll do so you know in in the in the cause of finding new data points and and learning so so you know we we embrace the idea of of getting out there and learning as much as we can because the more data points that we have the more that we can tilt the service more and more towards 
consumption and success and so on. So I think it's it's just a, a recognition that it's 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 up to you if you want to do it, it. It's 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 down to you. And I thought that was, you know, that that was the thing that occurred to me when when I had left Fox and when I was thinking about what to do next. This is what I wanted to do, but you know, I I, I recognised pretty quickly that if I wanted this dream job. I was going to have to make it. I was going to have to create it myself. Those are the, I guess, the, the key learnings. Everything that you do, it's up to you. In terms of you, look, TV. I mean, have you got investors? Is it your investment? So we've got a number of really interesting investment conversations going on right now. Um, we're obviously uh, bootstrapped as as well up to this point. So it's a it's a it's a fantastic time to be having that discussion while we've got a service while exciting things are happening on it. Okay. And tell us about the distribution strategy for Ulook TV. You mentioned it's, I mean, it's web-based at the moment, so anybody can go and take a look at it. Easy, straight in ulook.tv, and we'll put a link in the episode description. You're also on Android and iOS. Yeah, that's right. And in due course, uh, we will be on Firestick, we'll be on Samsung and LG. We want to be as widely distributed as we can uh, can be in the UK and Ireland, which is where we are, um, on all of the free platforms, um, uh, you know, and that's that's where I think we we need to make inroads. That's where we need to make a name for ourselves. Um, is that, that environment where where the audience uh, consumes content for free? Um, I haven't yet considered the rather thorny issue of integration with pay TV platforms, but that feels like a decision that's like a really long way away. So you mentioned you had a whole number of different channels on the service. How do you compete for content? And what's your content acquisition strategy? We've got a lot of distribution listeners and a lot of listeners in production as well. How do you compete for that content? You know, how does how does it work from a licensing perspective? Is it pay-per-view? Uh, are you in a position to offer advances for content? How does that work? So in large part, we are um, a rev share only platform. Um, that's, and that's born out of necessity, uh, quite frankly, at this point in time. But happily, um, there is a great deal of amazing content out there um, in the world. And we have been super fortunate, I think, to have uh, a lot of it in the platform. We've got about 3,000 hours of content right now that, that I have acquired, but also Benedict Steinsred, who's, who's our, our, our head of acquisitions, has also uh, acquired for us. There's been a recognition inside the content industry that AVOD is a really exciting new opportunity, uh, but it's not going to exist uh, without stimulation. It's not going to thrive without stimulation. And I think there's been a recognition that by, by supporting new enterprises in this space like us, that's uh, that 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 that's a, that's going to help speed the advent of this new marketplace, which which I think everyone believe, hopes and believes will emerge from Avod. And going back to a point you made earlier, what's I think really interesting is data, isn't it? And your ability to pivot really quickly towards certain type of content yeah. that will actually, so as the data will lead your content strategy, see what works and buy more of it or, or make more of it available and make it more visible, right? That's exactly right. And, that, that, and that's the entire point of having 
a wide range of channels from the get-go is is so that we can you know we've got we've got lots of data levers that we can pull on i think the other point to make is that when we think of international rollout plans as we do you know we imagine that when we go into other markets we would go there with a with a different service maybe not entirely different but with a different mix of channels for a different uh, audience setup in whichever market that we go to so we don't think that having the same service for europe or mer is is the right way to go because i think it it, it also you know that that would ignore one of the central points of our thesis which is we've got to be targeting viewing communities and passion centers uh, and audience groups where where we can uh, where we can pull content content together and present it to them in a way that makes sense so so it will be a different thing in each of the markets that we go into coming back to data this is going to be a real battleground i think going forward in the next few years when it comes to producers and content owners wanting to understand data around their own product so presumably if you're offering revenue share deals for content you're completely transparent about that that data so yeah if i'm a producer and if you've licensed a six-part documentary series that i made 10 years ago let's say and you'll account to me what every six months or so or or, or however long and, and you i'll be able to see how it's played where it's played and obviously it's it's about transparency of that data right yeah that's exactly right i think transparency of data is central to the whole mission and it's one it's one of the appealing things about licensing into avod if you are a content producer and distributor it's you know that here is a, a another you know seam of data that, that you can kind of mine um very important to us and i think it's you know in the longer term we're not there yet um, but i hope that before too long we will be in a place where we will where we will make that data available uh and 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 talk about it openly and, and say this is how many viewers this show attracted and this is how many viewers this channel is uh, uh, is watched by i think i want that to be part of the conversation you know i come from a, a side of the business where data um, in the form of bob figures was was a matter of public record and everyone knew how everyone was doing uh, and it kind of fueled innovation it fueled competition um, and i'm hoping that a similar kind of model will kind of emerge from avod I, because I don't imagine it will emerge from SVOD. No, no, exactly, and we're not seeing any uh, any sort of signs of that. And what you know, what I find fascinating is that occasionally Netflix, you know, may release some sort of numbers, or Disney might release some sort of numbers and say this was a hit. This was, but it's like, okay, but we're basing that assumption on you being honest with your numbers. Right. There's no other independent oversight to those figures so i think it's a bit of a uh an uneven kind of transaction if you like when they're not being particularly uh transparent on 99.9 percent of how their other shows are doing and 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 they're not letting the producers know how their content's doing and all you know it's you know is it doing well or not you only know if you get another commission that information is made available on one person's terms that's and that's what makes it I suppose, less reliable. You know, in the longer term, our, our goal is to have our content suppliers have a dashboard right into our back end so they can see how their 
content is is performing each day. Um, but you know, we're a little way off that. Okay, well, it's a, it's a really interesting pointer to the future, actually, and producers will be wanting to be much more savvy about data and what it means to them. And maybe a, a data analyst is one of their key hires, you know, as, a, as, as well as a development producer going forward. Back to content uh, for You Look TV. What content are you actively looking for now? If we've got any listeners who have got relevant content, you know, what is it that you're looking for to license? Very much uh, interested in nature and wildlife uh, programming, uh, but also travel. Um, and I'd love to have a, a fashion channel. I, I want to have a channel there called You Look Great. And and and, uh, and I think that fashion would be that thing. Um, we have not managed to find content that's been right for us to kind of fill that channel. So, so anyone out there with some fashion ideas, uh, please send them in. We'd be very grateful to receive them. Um, but we are also in the originals space. Uh, and just a couple of days ago, we announced our first Avod original, which is the Mark Prince show, the Dr. Prince show, in which Mark Prince interviews a wide range of people from, from largely from the sporting uh, environment. So we are in the original space as well. We're taking baby, spe- baby steps in there, but, you know, we are... We're learning quickly, we're evolving quickly, and Originals needs to be front and centre part of our strategy as well. Can you give us any hints as to other commissions or Originals th- that you might be looking for in the future? Is any uh, Are you inviting any ideas around particular genres? I think if, uh, yeah, I mean, I think if, if producers looked at any of our channels and thought that they had ideas for original content that would be really specific to the audience that, that that you would expect in those channels, then you know we're we're certainly very happy to take a look. We're not we're not going to su- start turning on millions of originals taps um, because we're quite frankly not yet there. But but we but we are actively looking right now. When we talk about Avod as a whole, it, it really had a bit of a moment last year, didn't it? When all VOD viewing went through the roof. How do you see the AVOD market developing from now and over the next few years? Presumably, you think it's it's very much on the up, or, or else you wouldn't have launched a uh, an AVOD service. How do you see the the market as a whole developing and competing with SVOD going forward? There's the the market of the business of of advertising seeking audiences to be in front of. And then there's the competitive environment. So there's two parts to that answer. The first one is take advertising. So the programmatic advertising marketplace uh, is is only growing year on year and and in a major, major way. Uh, The connected TV audience uh, uh, is growing year on year. And again, very significantly admittedly from a small base but very significantly that's growing year on year and so the ability to target specific audiences in growing numbers with with ads that are relevant to the audience member that's in front of them that that capacity that ability is skyrocketing um, year on year so that in general you have to think that the AVOD marketplace is in good shape for growth. The competitive environment is is the other piece, and that is, you know, what what how many 
services can there reasonably uh, exist um, in, in any given market? And in what form is that likely to develop? So in the US, where you've got two, three 300 AVOD services, but many of them are actually fast channels. So that's linear streaming channels. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's going to be quite that much room here over in this part of the world just yet for 200 services. I'm not sure that the demand is quite yet there to support it. But if you look at the underlying factors of growth in the ad, in the digital ad market and the, the number of connected devices that are being used for television style viewing, yes, you know, you've got to assume that, 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 that there will be a broad enough ecosystem to support quite a few channels. Yeah. And you can imagine that there will be a certain amount of churn at some point as well with the SVODs, wouldn't you? When people start to realize that they're actually paying more for five or six different SVOD channels than they were for Sky or uh, or whatever other service that they've just uh, cut the cord to. So so I guess that's another opportunity for AVOD, isn't it? When When it comes to consumers just looking around and discovering new channels that perhaps haven't been marketed to them from multi-multi-million dollar advertising budgets. It goes back again to that migration stat, which is if, if you've got audiences that are increasing in number, but also session length and the amount of time they spent viewing by almost 50% year on year, they are absolutely going to be spilling over into the free space, looking around for content that they don't have to pay for, but which is relevant to them. That is the opportunity. And now it's time in the show for David to pick his story of the week, the TV industry news item that's caught his eye in the past seven days. David, what's your story of the week? So, yeah, sorry, I've got two stories uh, of the week. Okay, double story of the week. That's good. We always like a bit of uh, variety. That's right. And and firstly, and, and somewhat curiously, you might argue for somebody who's in the AVOD space, there's a story that in the U- in the US, AVOD viewing has been off by 10% over the past six months. And then the second story is that more people watched originals in two weeks on Roku than all of the time that they spent on the Quibi service. Yes. So when you put two of those articles, when you put both of those articles together, they kind of seem like they're in conflict, but but they're not really. It suggests a number of different things. I think it suggests that the launch of new pay services in the US, you know, Discovery Plus, HBO Max, lots of marketing activity, tons and tons of promotion, tons of new content kind of flowing into that system means that there's competition for eyeballs, right? If you compare it to last year, there wasn't anything like that amount of competition in the SVOD space. So it's only got more and more intense. And it's, you know, that competition for eyeballs, it's it's going to steal eyeballs from wherever. It's going to steal eyeballs from the traditional environment, but also from from AVOD as well. And I think as part of that, you've you've also got the return to some, some perhaps some more pre-COVID style viewing habits where people haven't had perhaps quite as much time to spend in front of screens as well. So, you know, you've got those dynamics going on. But overall, I think it suggests that, you know, especially when you look at that um, that Roku um, story, it suggests that when compelling content is made available for free, it's hugely appealing. Um, and it's, it's therefore a reminder that AVOD 
isn't going to survive by right, but it, it needs to constantly innovate and it needs to constantly strive to present great content um, and put that in front of viewers. And where it does that, it's going to do very, very well. So it's just, you know, a shot across the bows, but also it's it's a pointer towards the future as well. It's why we're doing originals. It's why I think anyone in this space should be doing originals as well. And now it's that time of the show where my guest gets to nominate their hero of the week and who or what they're telling to get in the bin. David, who's your hero of the week? Without a shadow of a doubt and without any hesitation whatsoever, it is the return of Love Island to our screens on Monday. And and just seeing the cast members for the next show um, kind of amuses me uh, and delights me all over again. I think it's, and without wishing to be too profound about it, but I'm going to be really profound. You know, it is, I think, the perhaps the bookending of the pandemic. When we, when we started uh, the pandemic, it was just at the end of a Love Island season. We skipped last summer and, and the winter that followed. We're starting again now with a new Love Island. It is it has returned to some sunnier times. And it's a reminder that we can think about things that amuse us or appall us or the stuff that we like, stuff that we hate, without worrying about a pandemic uh, in, in, in the foreground. So I think, you know, for, for me, it's, um, it's a sign of good times coming back. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it, actually, because... When we started Telecast way back in uh, April last year, then, you know, all we were talking about was, you know, uh, big shows getting cancelled, you know, key key shows that were real tentpole shows for a lot of commercial channels were were getting cancelled left, right and centre, which was unprecedented. And, and you're right, now that they're coming back, it does signal a little bit of return to not normality. But, but yeah, this, it's a neat way to look at it, bookending the pandemic we're all for that it is it's it's the return of hope uh, if you will and who are what you're telling to get in the bin so okay this is the story about gb news and stop funding hate and ikea and nivea pulling advertising you know regardless of you know one's view of politics i'm, I'm you know I'm not perhaps the the biggest fan of gb news but i absolutely you know um embrace their right to exist and to and to seek out an audience and to do well and i think that the idea that there would be from from the get go that there would be a movement to to inspire or uh, cajole advertisers to remove their support uh, from the channel which then fueled a backlash coming back from the channel saying well maybe we maybe we we won't accept your advertising if you even if you did want mm. to come back i think it's a it's a it's it's another reminder if we needed one that the arguments uh, these days seem to be all about polarizing. It's it's you're either on my team or you are my sworn enemy, and yeah. I find that very depressing. Uh, I find it I find it very depressing when when something as as um, as interesting um, and worthy of debate as as a new news channel should be immediately kind of bogged down in. Uh, entrenched positions and people kind of weaponizing language over over whether it's woke and stuff like that. I find that all a bit tiresome. It used to be shades of grey, didn't it? I mean, news services, whatever you're listening to, they're positioned at some point on the spectrum. But generally, in a democracy, 
you know, you've got to be able to listen to those and, and you know, well, I suppose you've also got the right to turn them on or off, haven't you? Well, that's right. You're right. It, it does feel that today discourse is so much more difficult to to have a an honest discussion, uh, whatever your point of view. Anyway, well, we'll see how GB News, they've had a bit of a rocky start, I think, but, you know, they are by their own admission a startup, so... It's not the easiest thing in the world to create a new national news channel from uh, from scratch, but but yeah, it's a, it's a sign of the times when when brands as well, because brands obviously have their own positions as well. You just wonder sometimes what the you know there's there's obviously PR value in saying you're not going to ad- advertise against some content as well. So I think there's a p- bit of positioning going on there as well it speaks to the whole issue of identity politics doesn't it so yeah it it does it does indeed david thank you very much for spending some time with us this week really fascinating to hear about you look tv and as i say we'll uh, we'll put a link to you look tv in the episode description so you can go and check out the service and and if you've got natural history content fashion content and but there was some other factual content that you're looking for. How do producers get in touch with you? They can email me at david at youlook.tv. All right, fantastic. Thanks again, David. All the best. Very good luck with the channel going forward. Thanks so much, Justin. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, um, thank you. My next guest on this week's show is a regular contributor to Telecast, Lilla Hurst from Content Funding, Sales and Distribution Business Drive. How are you doing, Lilla? I am very well, thank you, Justin. Great to have you back on the show again. And the last time you were on was January for our Real Screen special show. I mean, we've had no physical markets for, what, about 18 months. How's that all panning out? And how's this year in particular panning out since uh, we spoke in January? Uh, I think, you know, obviously when we spoke in January, I think we could all agree that we were in the midst of very much a doomy, gloomy winter and, and feeling pretty insecure about where uh, the future was heading in in many respects. And I think since then, we've definitely seen a vast improvement in in all things. Certainly, I think from our experience, there's been a a marked improvement in, in, in just the sort of general activity going on in the marketplace. It did feel quite quiet in January, and things definitely started to pick up from March onwards. And I mean, in terms of where we are as a business and our annual targets, we're pretty much on target at the moment. So we do find ourselves having to check ourselves very regularly and and, and not be complacent because you just feel that, you know, anything could change at any moment. But, but in general, it's been a positive first half of the year. You say that you were busier in, in March time. I mean, do you think there's still a sort of a residual cyclical effect, if you like, for MIP TV and MIPCOM in terms of sales and acquisitions throughout the year. Do we do we still see that being sort of fairly prevalent or are things kind of smoothing out? Well, it was interesting. What we saw this year was that there was still very a flurry of activity that was more actually around the London screenings. And we actually brought a lot of our launches forward so that they tied in with the London screenings rather than waiting until what would have been a virtual or what was a virtual MIP TV. Um, 
and and that definitely worked better for us. And and we're really curious to see actually if that just has a long lasting impact, and that in fact businesses going forward from next year onwards will be more inclined to launch their releases around the screenings rather than hold them back until MIP TV. Mm. Well, I guess only time will tell. Yeah. And as as we know, many things can change fairly quickly in this current environment. Today, you've published an impressive free report on the new buyers and how the whole content industry landscape is changing. Tell us a bit about the report and why you commissioned it. Well, we decided to commission this because we felt that we had noticed as a business a massive uptick in revenue um, from VOD services. I mean, it's uh, we're forecasting a 50% increase on last year already. Wow. Um, and we've seen that there's been a launch of around 750 new VOD services over the last year last four years around the world mm. and it just we just noticed that when we were talking to producers that that they other than the really obvious SVODs like Amazon and, and Netflix and so on there was very little knowledge around uh, other SVOD services and also AVOD and, and I think a lot of people have, would agree with us that that 2020 was the year of AVOD and we just thought that you know the sort of the producer environment slightly out of step with what's going on in the distribution environment with regards to the sales of their titles. And we really felt that it was time to kind of bring indies up to speed with this rapidly changing landscape. And particularly because it can be quite hard to navigate in terms of, you know, who these players are, how big they are, what sort of deal models they're working to, what kind of rights definitions they're, they're following. And we just wanted to kind of highlight some sort of key insights into the numbers and the opportunities as well as having some in-depth interviews uh, with some of the players. And also, we just felt it was quite useful to even publish a sort of glossary of the terms, because very often we have producers, you know, literally saying to us, what does, what is, what does AVOD mean? And what, what are the various definitions? So we just wanted to bring some clarity to that whole space. Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly an impressive piece of work. So you mentioned, you know, huge explosion in growth in VOD services, 750 or thereabouts in, in just four mm. years. And it's no surprise, I guess, that with so many new players and, as you say, AVOD, SVOD and different business models, then they're all different. Clearly, they all have different needs. They're all working in different niche areas or some are more generalist. I mean, it's a, it's, it's no wonder why many producers can't seem to be across everything in the same way that they are with perhaps the more established buyers and the ways of doing business. What are the key findings other than that explosion in VOD services? The spend on acquired content has been growing strongly for the past 10 years and actually reached a staggering $38 billion in 2021. And over the next five years, acquired content is going to surpass originals in terms of spending. The growing number of VOD services that we've just talked about have caused a doubling of spend on acquired. That goes to show quite how valuable the VOD market is. And I think it's it's staggering when you see those, those numbers in black and white. It's just quite extraordinary. 
So when it comes to VOD services, I mean, what we've seen over the past few years with the big, shiny Netflix, Amazons and Disney Plus and all, all the other big services, they're spending a whole load of money, particularly in scripted, but also in, uh, in factual as well, on big tentpole projects to you know, to drive subscriptions. But I suppose we're seeing that slightly maturing now, aren't we? And, and more and more of that spend going to deepen the catalogue and the offers of, of these services. Sure. I mean, so basically when VOD services launch, they, they drive the acquisition of new subscribers through originals and tentpole titles that they commission. But to retain existing customers, um, they really require a, a very large catalogue of older content. And if you think about, you know, the top 10 most watched shows on Netflix last year, only two of them were actually new series and the remaining were library titles, Wow! Um, which is very different from the linear environment where library content is, is kind of filler to, to say viewing between new series placed at, uh, you know, a peak times in the schedule. So it, it's a complete sort of flip. And, you know, anyone who's been subscribing to Netflix for, you know, since since the early days, well, it, we'll see that now, you know, at the beginning, we very much, we were all spoiled, weren't we? And we got very used to having these very flashy original shows mm. launched on a, on a weekly basis. And, and whereas now we're we're noticing the sort of much much greater quantity of of library content there that's that's backing it all up. Yeah, and I suppose that's also a result of COVID pandemic and uh, you know interruptions on production as well. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. We're seeing this explosion of smaller niche services. We've said like seven hundred and fifty different VOD services launching over a period of just four years or so. Why is that? Why why has there been such an explosion in these in these niche services? You know, the VOD audience isn't that dissimilar to to the DVD or the old fashioned video viewing audience, and and you know that was driven by by a desire to to find things that you couldn't necessarily find on your your regular TV stations, and so if you think about that on a sort of macro level now. Niche services are becoming more and more successful because they're serving the the kind of viewing desires of people who, who you know, they might just want to watch history all day long. I mean, there's a massive global audience, for instance, for, for, for history, and they may not feel that what they get here and there from, you know, a bit of BBC and a bit of History Channel is enough for them. So they're, they're just, and likewise, the science community, likewise, the culinary community. There are, there are people who seek the, this kind of content out and particularly in an AVOD environment that's very desirable because as a viewer you're not having to pay for it it's being paid for in the same way as a commercial channel by by the advertisers so it's it's not particularly um competitive um in terms of channel slots for, for a niche channel to to launch just going back to what you were saying earlier on about the demand the type of content that these VOD platforms are, are acquiring and library content becoming more and more important. How does that affect producers and VOD channels? And how does that affect pricing, I suppose, as well? And as you say, windowing, there's so many different variables 
So if I'm a producer and I have an engineering show, for example, you know, how can I best use that content to develop a a revenue stream? First and foremost, assuming that the the, the kind of the, the, the way in which that particular title comes into the world is through a commission or a copro. The most important thing when you're negotiating the terms for that initial deal as a producer is to not undervalue those rights and to make sure that you have those rights available outside of the original commissioning territory and perhaps even available within the commissioning territory after a short holdback so that either you or your distributor can go out and exploit those rights. And then I think secondly, when you're appointing your distributor, it's really crucial to be aware of their activity in that space and to make sure that they are indeed valuing those rights and they're not just chasing traditional linear deals and that they're really up to speed with the various players in the marketplace. And then I think that finally, it's it's to kind of be prepared to play the long game with it because what we're seeing now is that the, the kind of the life of a program, a single program or a series is being genuinely extended by this appetite for VOD rights. And, you know, we've we've recently seen certain titles we've got in the catalogue that hadn't, you know, they, they're probably quite parochial titles in some cases. So it was always going to, for instance, be quite difficult for them to get a big deal in the States. Um, but what we're starting to see is actually that, that in an AVOD environment, they're doing quite well in the States. So I think it's just about uh, being educated and also being patient and playing the long game. Now, we spoke with David Smith of You Look TV earlier in the show, and, and we can also see some of the huge content businesses like Roku and Peacock and HBO Max betting on AVOD as a business model. How do you see this AVOD sector? You said 2020 was the year of AVOD. I mean, how do you see it now playing out over the next few years? Well, I think what's been very interesting is that in the past, AVOD really struggled to monetize via advertising because consumers had a much lower appetite for ads on VOD compared to linear. And so it meant that for an hour of content, you know, very few ads could be run. And so obviously there was a much lower revenue as a whole to the VOD services. But more recently, that's definitely changing. Um, and I think YouTube has been, you know, shown the best example of that, Um uh, I think something like, you know, they've seen 50 to 20% growth achieved by very slowly and cheekily increasing the number of ads it has on the service. And also, um, they've been removing the skip functions and the ad free videos. And I think that whilst there was, a, you know, quite a resistance from the VOD audience in the early days to, to adverts. There's definitely been a change there. And so I think what we'll just see is people people being more accepting of that. We certainly know a younger demographic doesn't have much of a problem with it. And as a result of that, you know, as you said, you know, the, the whether it be Hulu or, or Roku or whoever, they'll genuinely start to generate a greater revenue. And that greater revenue will then generate the ability to commission originals. We've got an explosion of services. We've got 
a lot more money in terms of opportunities for producers to exploit their their content. How should producers approach the future? Because uh, presumably now, you know, if you've got a traditional model of getting one or two networks to come on and, and commissioning or co-producing a title, presumably you should be coming, maybe considering to come to this from a different angle as a producer as well with all of these new buyers out there for both new and library content in in many ways it's not rocket science it's 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 the same old business of networking you know being being educated reading as much as possible about the emerging services talking to the distributors that you work with about the emerging services who they're doing deals with so that you can really keep a close eye on them you know i think curiosity stream would be a good example of that you know that's a service that's been around for a few years now but has just started recently to commission originals and is very keen to have um, direct relationships with with production companies and so I think it's just you know it, it's 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 that crucial thing of just being able to network and you know whether you're at a physical market or a virtual one making sure that that you attend the sessions where these services are are promoting themselves, talking about what they're looking for and so on, so that you can really seek out those opportunities for whether it be for Copro or for original commissions. And use your glossary to find out your MAUs from (laughs) your UGC and your MVPDs. Yes, indeed. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show again, Lilla. Now that The new buyer's report is out now and you can download it for free on Drive's website and also the download section of the Telecast website and we'll put links to both of those in the episode description. Do take a look at that report. It's a fabulous piece of work. Thanks again, Lilla, for coming on the show. Thanks, Justin. Well, that's about it for this week's show. As always, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Telecast and share it with friends and colleagues. And a quick reminder to sign up for our free newsletter called Telecast Plus. It's packed with interesting TV industry stories of the week you may have missed, downloadable reports like the Drive New Buyers Report we mentioned earlier on, and surveys, an exclusive insight and opinion. It's all completely free. Just visit our website to sign up at telecast-podcast.com. That's telecast hyphenpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Telecast was edited by Ian Chambers and recorded in London. Until next Thursday, as always, stay safe. <laughs>